Eureka Springs is a little tourist town nestled in the Ozark Mountains. Population, just over 2,000, not counting the supernatural folk. The town is a hotbed of paranormal activity, and has been for as long as people have lived here. Guess they could thank all the mystical energy from underground springs for that. All manner of monsters seem drawn to it. When bad things happen that normal folk can't explain, a man named Vincent Van Getty used to look into it. Only, he's not around anymore. I am. My name is Mia Valentine. By day, I'm going to be a newspaper reporter for the lovely county record. By night, I'm a fill-in paranormal investigator looking into all things that go bump in the... Well, you know. It's season three of Ozark Whispers, so if you're just tuning in, go check out seasons one and two. These episodes will be here when you get back. are funny and fickle things, and people so rarely give pause to consider just how much of our lives are built around them. You help people move into a new house, and suddenly it's expected that when you move, even if it's on a humid, sweaty summer Ozarks day, they will return the favor. And that's just a small example. Don't even get me started on things like godchildren and firstborns. So why am I talking about favors? because a pain in the ass named Vincent Van Getty called one in, and that's why I'm now standing in his empty flat in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Where is said pain in the ass? I suppose the only person who knew that is Queen Fomar of the Autumn Court, his current boss who whisked him off into the land of the Fae almost two years ago. He'd angered some spider lord named Count Oglington, and that was the last I'd heard from him. That is, until a week ago. I make my living as a monthly magazine writer, documenting suspected supernatural activity all across Maine. It's a small outfit located in Bangor, which is famous for being the home of Stephen King. Of course, the difference between us is that he writes fiction. I write stuff that actually happens, even if half our readers don't actually believe it. River sirens abducting, devouring fishing men. Mount Katahdin's elusive yeti pack. You name it, I've written about it. I owed a huge debt to Vincent, who, a few years back, when he was still an Oregonian, called in favors with rangers he knew to keep Maine's ranger from erasing my memory after witnessing a rather gruesome Kelpie drowning. He felt bad leaving this supernatural town without someone to watch over it as he had when he was a paranormal investigator. So here I am, looking into things that go bump into the night. So, in a week, I'd quit my job at the magazine in Maine. I'd somehow secured Vincent's old job as community reporter at the Lovely County Record. And I'd flown across the country into a little airport called Exxon A. From there, Eureka Springs was about one to two hours of driving deep into the Ozark Mountains. 
Now, being from Bangor, I'm used to smaller towns, but Eureka Springs had a few mythical qualities I had to begrudgingly admit were quite charming upon first glance. The magic that radiated off the springs all over town was unlike anything I'd felt before. And the colorful souls you'd file under peeve or paranormal after the sun went down? Well, let's just say they were wicked cool, and they piqued my interest. There was a cobbler in town, an honest-to-God shoe repair person who was half leprechaun. And there was this witch named Gina, my apparent new landlord, who ran the cafe beneath my flat. Lots of interesting folk to keep my eye on as I investigated in Vincent's absence. Unpacking was easy enough. I'd only brought two suitcases, which I unzipped. I brought a few changes of clothes, my Nintendo Switch, on which I'd invested an ungodly number of hours playing Animal Crossing, and a few of my more mythical items that would leave me unwelcome with the church folk around here. I'd finished up setting an altar to my patron goddess, Artemis, when my first case appeared. At least they had the courtesy to let me unpack first. There was a flutter of wings, and something a little smaller than me landed on my balcony. Now, I hadn't had time to set up any wards of protection on this place, nor did I know if Vincent was smart enough to have a few of his own. So I was a little cautious with the shadowy outline of a winged individual standing just outside my front door. But I figured I was in the south now, where the tea was as sweet as the day was warm, as they say. So I figured now would be a good time to practice that famous hospitality, considering I was from away. Besides, anything that wanted to do me harm would have just done it, no announcing itself with a loud landing. Probably. So I reached into Vincent's, now my, fridge and found a couple abandoned beers. Local brews I hoped were still good after a couple years. The brand was Highlander High Life, and featured a logo of some great Scotsman with a wooden leg and a large bastard sword. Charming. Opening the door, I went outside to greet my guest and offered them a beer. My guest, as it turned out, was a woman just a little shorter than me, with ragged white hair and black and purple feathers on their arms and legs. She stared at me with glowing red eyes and clicked her talons curiously on the deck as we examined one another. The woman wore a tight purple sleeveless dress and a silver necklace. Hi there, Harpy. Want a beer? I offered. Helvena, she said, taking it with her hands that had nails long enough to poke in one cheek and out the other if she was here to do me harm. We each cracked open our cans and I remarked there were no boys around for these cold ones. Which was fine, as I wasn't overly fond of them. The boys, not the cold ones. Vincent was a rare exception, but even he was on my crap list right now. After Helvena took a drink and decided it was good enough to finish in a few more slurps, the harpy turned toward me and said, You're not Vincent. I told the guest I was his replacement for the time being, seeing as he was indisposed on fey business. She seemed disappointed and explained how she saw the lights on in Vincent's flat for the first time in almost two years, and had grown hopeful he was back to help. Smirking, I couldn't help but admire the friend I'd made at a UFO conference in Des Moines several years back. 
He had really grown to be someone important to the supernatural community here in Eureka Springs. And I had a lot to live up to. Well, I started, I'm not Mr. Van Getty, but I do possess a few minor magical talents of my own that might allow me to assist you in his stead. Silence fell about the deck as Helvana considered this. Overhead, a bat flew, and I saw her eyeing it, considering whether it would make a nice snack. But she let the leathery-winged creature fly away into some nearby trees. It was then she described an ankle bracelet that had been passed down through her family. It was made of brass and had feathers inscribed into it all the way around. Helvena's mother had passed it along to her, and she was trying to have a child of her own soon, and she wanted to pass it off to them. The only problem? It seemed to have gone missing during one of her nightly flights over Eureka Springs. This was fortuitous, a case that I could probably solve fairly easily. It was difficult to hide things from me. Even as a kid when I was grounded and one of my moms tried hiding a toy or something as punishment, I always instinctively knew where it was to their dismay. As I'd grown older, I made some okay money in my dorm at college, finding lost items for students and even janitors. Keys, rings, a book of erotic poetry, I found it all. And I assured Helvana I could do this as well. I just needed another piece of her jewelry. She gave me a ruby earring and left. I'd have the missing item by sunrise, if it was still in Eureka Springs. Going back inside, I reached into my suitcase and pulled out a black folded cloth about the size of a laptop screen. Unfolding it and carefully spreading it on the couch, I breathed slow and summoned my energy to me. It didn't take much. Eureka Springs was buzzing with magic, eager to be used. No wonder so many supernatural creatures called this place home. I pulled out a jar full of ground chalk and poured some into my left hand. Closing my eyes and infusing my magic into the chalk, I slowly drizzled it over the black cloth. It took a moment but the chalk began to form rough outlines of a local map. Streets, hills, bodies of water. Reaching into my back pocket, I pulled out a pointed hunk of amethyst I carried everywhere. I'd had it since I was a girl and found it on a camping trip. Attached to the gemstone was a simple black leather string which I unfurled. Putting the red ruby in my left hand and holding the swaying amethyst with my right, I focused on the harpy's energy. The pendulum traced over her popular flight paths above town at first, then into a patch of forest I assumed contained her nest. At last, the pendulum found her ankle bracelet, right in the middle of a body of water called Lake Leatherwood. I sighed. Fantastic. Once again, I'd gotten ahead of myself. Well. Nothing to do but hop to it and hope I didn't need a scuba suit. I called for a ride because my rental car wouldn't be here until tomorrow morning, and there was no Uber or Lyft here in rural Arkansas. Imagine my surprise when a pink limousine pulled up outside of Gina's cafe. Son of a gun, I did not know if I would survive living here. Lake Leatherwood, as it turned out, is 85 acres of spring-fed water, held by a limestone-cut dam constructed in the 1940s. How did I intend to search it? No clue. Wing it, just like Vincent would do if he were here. We arrived at the lake, and I asked the limo driver to wait for an hour in case I couldn't think of anything smart and just gave up. 
It was around 11.30 p.m., and in the summer night breeze I could hear the sounds of toads and crickets calling like nature, crazy, lovely mating calls. I wandered down over to the water's edge and walked along a trail for a while. A half-moon glistened on the lake's surface. Nobody else was around. And when I couldn't see the limo anymore, I crouched next to the water. Hello, Mr. Lake, I said, sighing. I don't suppose you'd be willing to give me back a harpy's ankle bracelet, would you? I jumped out of my skin when a large splash rocked me to my left, and suddenly a new person was sitting on the lake shore next to me, a scaly, powerful tail still in the water. Looking over, my heart beating a million miles an hour, I saw a freshwater mermaid, sharp teeth, fins on her arms and shoulders, glowing yellow eyes, and long black hair that stuck to her damp body. The mermaid looked at me while its tail flicked around in the water slowly, and I suddenly realized the folly of my ways. You never want to get close to a mermaid. They're unpredictable. Her tail could smash my skull and I would never see it coming. Or she could sink her fangs into me and drag me into the water. They were dangerous, sleek carnivores, and now one sat beside me in a few inches of water. She looked me over as the harpy had and spoke with a clear and concerningly calming voice. Well, well, you smell of a man who owes me a favor, a man I haven't seen in two years since I saved his life from a summer court fae champion. I rolled my eyes and sighed. Of course that jackass would leave his debts unpaid and go wandering off into the fae wilds. Of course. The mermaid introduced herself as a Zerna and explained she'd had a run-in with Vincent before. She asked if he'd skip town to avoid paying his debt. I explained Faye business whisked him away suddenly, and I was here filling in for him. You're going to pay his debt? Azerna asked, eyes widening as a grin formed. I explained that I would not. Vincent would pay the favor when he returned, sometime in the future. Azerna thought for a moment and said, Fair enough. You're about to put yourself into my debt one way or another. I hear you're looking for a piece of harpy jewelry that fell into our home. Gritting my teeth, I swore. Of course the mermaid had it. Of course she was going to dangle it in my face, like she probably had for Vincent when they formed whatever alliance they'd agreed to a couple years ago. What else could I do? How bad would a mermaid debt be? Maybe I could bring them some Long John Silvers or something. But I begrudgingly accepted a quick deal with Azerna. She disappeared below the lake's surface for a few minutes, and returned with the brass ankle bracelet. Different feathers carved all around it. Favors. Gods, there were just no escaping them. Azerna waved goodbye, which was quite a creepy thing for a mermaid to do, and I took the very cold piece of jewelry back to my limo paying the driver an inhuman sum of money. Would I be able to survive here on a journalist's salary? Helvana was waiting for me upon my return and was overjoyed to have the ankle bracelet back. I didn't ask for a favor in return, but I assumed if I needed help, I could probably call on her. That's how society worked, both vanilla mortal and supernatural, apparently. Then I hit the hay and tried to get a few hours of sleep before I was due at the office of the lovely county record to meet an angry Texan editor who would bark my first assignment at me. Nice going, Mia. 
First day here, and you're already in debt to a supernatural creature. <sighs> Vincent would be proud, I think. 